0: Good to see all of you here this morning. This brings back good memories. Uh, If you're counting, this is Sunday number 18 with good weather uh, because we had 17 during the COVID days of meeting here. Uh, God has been kind to us to give us not only a church family, but a Hampton Park uh, in which to have our services like this. So I know many of you in those days talked about how you hoped we would do this again uh, on perhaps a more regular basis, and we'll see what happens in the future. I want to say thanks to uh, all of those who did the necessary setup for it. It's a lot of extra work uh, for our crews, and we appreciate them and all that they've done. Well, as you know, tomorrow is our national holiday celebrating our independence as a nation. And like every nation on earth... We have our sins and our sorrows, but like every nation on earth, we owe God gratitude for the blessings that we enjoy from His hand. We are used to freedoms in America that many never got to enjoy. God granted us great awakening and revival in the very years we were becoming a free nation. So in our founding documents, we find reference to the Creator who gave us inalienable rights. No human government has authority to take away. The words of God from Scripture adorn our national buildings and monuments, and foundational laws of the land acknowledge that both the governed and the governing answer to Almighty God. But the Scriptures declare That besides being citizens of earthly nations, born-again people trusting in the Lord Jesus are also citizens of heaven. In Philippians, Paul wrote, believers there, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we studied through the book of Hebrews, we read, these all died in faith, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They desire a better country that is a heavenly one. That said, even exiles and pilgrims have obligations to the territory where they live, as well as to their eternal homeland. And Peter talks about the challenges that this dual citizenship creates. He writes in 1 Peter 2, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against the soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, that is, those that don't know God, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, and they will, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Well, if God were writing to us today, a letter about how to conduct our lives as exiles from home and yet citizens of earth, dual citizens of a heavenly kingdom as well as an earthly nation, what would God say? There is such a letter from God through Jeremiah the prophet to exiles from Judah taken captive to Babylon. We call Jeremiah the weeping prophet, because he preached during the years before, during, and after the fall of Jerusalem. He called for repentance before it was too late, but his preaching was ignored. He prophesied that the destruction of Jerusalem and the captivity in Babylon were by the hand of God. And because of that preaching, was hated as a traitor. His message to his people was one that repeatedly called for submission to God, And what God was doing with the nation, the present looked bleak, but God was at work to bring them a future and a hope as they turned back to Him away from the idols that they had served for so long. In Jeremiah 29, 1 through 14, we have recorded for our reading this morning the letter that God sent to the exiles in Babylon after the fall of Jerusalem. How were they to conduct themselves there? God's word to exiles from home. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jechaniah and the Queen Mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, To all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, Build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, From which I sent you into exile, five great truths we're going to look at this morning from this text. truths that apply not only to the Israelites in captivity in Babylon at the time, but truths that apply to God's people everywhere, in every generation, in every nation where they might be. Number one, from verse four: God controls your history. God controls your history. Number two, from verses five and six, grow where he has put you. Number three, from verse seven, seek the good of the city where you are. Number four, from verses eight through 11, count on the promises of God. And then finally, from verses 12 through 14, seek the Lord with all your heart. God controls your history, grow where he has put you, seek the good of the city where you are, count on the promises of God, seek the Lord with all your heart. First, this great truth that leads off the letter in verse 4, God controls your history. Listen to the words again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. First, will you note their names that we're used to seeing in the scriptures, but they tell us something about God? The names that are used for God. He refers to himself as the Lord or Yahweh of hosts, using God's covenant name. He is the great I am that I am. And in this case, Yahweh of hosts, that is, of armies, not just the armies of Israel, but armies of angels armies of the stars of all the heavenly hosts. Elisha and his servant were once surrounded by horses and chariots of an enemy kingdom, a Syrian army, hoping to capture them. And Elisha and his servant, though, were surrounded by horses and chariots of fire from heaven that protected them. Elisha says to his servant, Who is paralyzed with fear? Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. He is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. And then he also refers to himself as the God of Israel. The very name Israel reminds us of God's power to transform not only situations, but people themselves from what they once were to what they should be. Jacob the deceiver, changed to Israel, prince with God. God does this kind of transformation of circumstances and of people in accord with his faithful character. He writes to all the exiles whom I have sent in exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. These words are not just from Jeremiah the prophet. They are explicitly from God himself. It was God who sent the Jewish exiles from Jerusalem to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was merely a tool in his hand. Jeremiah has already been talking this way. In Jeremiah 27, 5 through 7, God says, It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth, with the men and the animals that are on the earth, and I give it to whomever it seems right to me. Now I have given... All these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And I have given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. As you read Jeremiah and the other prophets, it is absolutely clear that God holds nations accountable for their sins and brings judgment against those who refuse to repent. Even His chosen people, Israel, were not exempt from a sovereign real, rule, and certainly the pagan nations were not either. God exercises dominion over all the nations of the earth, not just over Israel. He uses the nations to carry out His justice and to provoke turning back to Him. He sets up rulers and takes them down. He directs armies and blocks their path. He controls storms and earthquakes and fire and water and every creature on earth so that his purposes prevail. Remember how he poured out the ten plagues on Egypt, thus forcing Pharaoh to let his people go. God literally has everything in the universe at his disposal to accomplish his will. What God does with nations and civilizations, He does with individual persons as well. That means you can't run from God's rule. You can't hide. You can pretend that God doesn't exist. You can forget Him in your daily living, but that does not erase Him from existence or remove His sovereign control over history, including your own history. What had happened to exiles, to the exiles, was nothing short of disaster. Their homeland was smashed to ruins. Young and old, slaughtered in the streets. They had lost everything. Now refugees in a pagan land. Life as they had known it was over. But among those captives was a Daniel, only 17, to be trained in Babylonian ways. Soon it would become clear that Daniel is not merely a victim, he is on mission from God in a land full of idols. Faithful ones like Daniel testified to the reality of the true God who is Lord of the nations. In a time of disaster and captivity, they displayed God's loyalty to his people. Daniel was exactly where Daniel was supposed to be, and so are you. Don't assume that if your life is hard at present or threatening in some way that God has forgotten you or somehow made a mistake in putting you where you are. He rules. Whatever you might wish were different in your life, embrace the truth that God controls your path and shapes your destiny for good. Lean into that reality. Find rest for your soul. Stop fighting. Stop pretending God has nothing to do with the course of your life and your circumstances. Don't waste your strength kicking against what He has ordained for you. He is with you in the words of Jesus Christ all the days, even to the consummation of the age. That is His intended goal for the entire universe. Recently, This song, I was listening to this song even as I was thinking about this passage. The songwriter applies this to her own life. How many hours have I spent watching the shining TV, living adventure and proxy in another person's dream? How many miles have I traveled looking at faraway lights, listening for trains in the distance in some brilliant other life? This cup. This cup, I want to drink it up, to be right here in the middle of it, right here, right here. This challenging reality is better than fear or fantasy. Where has God put you and how can you serve him there? In Philippians 2, Paul would say to believers there, do all things without grumbling or disputing. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Part of your circumstances may have roots in your own sins and failures. That was the case with the Jews. Their captivity was from the hand of God to bring them to repentance. Even that judgment was for their good. And even at a time of judgment, God had work for those who would listen to his will for them. And the same is true for you. Second, besides the fact that God controls your history, remember to grow, therefore, where he has put you. Look at the way God describes it here in verse 5 and following. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that you may have bare sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. All of these things are normal responsibilities of living life here on earth wherever you are. Although the Jews are taken captive, Hardly any of them were prisoners or slaves, instead they were sojourners, living in a foreign land, unable to return to their own country for the time being, but able to set up living where they were. The false prophets were declaring that God was going to send his people back to Jerusalem within two years. Of course, they had also predicted that Nebuchadnezzar would fail to take Jerusalem. They were still preaching what the people wanted to hear. But they were lying when they said the Lord had promised these things. Their tribe still exists today. Preachers and teachers who will tell people what they want to hear in keeping with the times rather than telling them the truth from God. Well, Jeremiah revealed to them from the Lord that God had decreed 70 years in Babylon for them. One year for every sabbatical year, they had skipped over 490 years of their history in the promised land. Whoever believed God would live accordingly. What did that life look like? Well, serving God in Babylon included the normal responsibilities of life, planting gardens, eating the produce, rearing a family, marrying off your kids, These are God-appointed tasks that are part of normal human existence. So don't belittle their significance. Work is good. Productivity is right. Training up kids is good. Marriage and family is good. All of these normal rhythms not only serve your own needs so that you're not a parasite on other people, but they also impact the community around you. Now, I realized actually just this week how small the number of captives actually was in Babylon. According to the last chapter of Jeremiah, all three waves of captives taken to Babylon amounted to only 4,600 people. So think about the devastation of the nation. The history of the nation... was was given to this 4,600. What would happen if the Jews died out? What would happen to the promise of the Messiah whom Daniel himself wrote about? They had to live to fulfill the promise of God. They needed to bear children and to increase, not decrease. In so doing they were not only helping themselves, they were impacting Babylon, and ultimately they were impacting the entire world for the rest of human history because of Jesus Christ. We're reminded that their, their time of slavery in Egypt, they began with, with just over 70 people and became a mighty nation. God knows how to keep His promises, and He uses His people to do it. Paul declared to the Thessalonians that a person who doesn't work shouldn't eat. God has linked our work with our survival on purpose. It is part of our dignity as human beings made in His image. Wherever we are, whatever age we are, we are to subdue the earth, to harness its resources, to manage it well, to exercise dominion over the land and water and air along with the plants and animals in it. And I often ask my teenagers when we go through this creation mandate, So how about the little corner of the earth that you're responsible for, your room? Are you subduing the earth, the part of your room? Are you picking up your trash and your socks? Are you helping with what needs to happen in the home? Or are you just a lazy freeloader? Laziness is sin and work is good wherever we are and whatever age we are, young or old. I can be five years old and serve God with the common task. I can be 95 years old if God has given me strength and still serve God with the common task. So what are you doing with the resources you have? What are you doing to be productive? Why would you waste your life with worthless pursuits wishing your life away, watching somebody else live life while ignoring the place where God has put you to live your own life. Grow where God has planted you. Thrive there. Make the most of it. Whatever your age, whatever your social or economic status, wherever you live, whether it's Greenville or Beijing or Tokyo or Istanbul or Madrid or Heidelberg or Pickens, We all are called to grow where God has put us for however long He has us here. There's work to do for His glory and for the good of others and for ourselves. No matter what mayhem is going on in the world, we have work to do. Grow where God has put you. Third, seek the good of the city where you are. Verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. That word welfare is the word you know, the Hebrew word you know, shalom. Peace. Prosperity. Provision. Life as it ought to be. So he says, seek the welfare of the city, the shalom of the city where I have sent you. The city where you have sent us, Babylon, the people who crushed our country, who took hatchets to the palace and the temple, who stole all the treasure of the Lord and burned the temple with fire, who slaughtered King Zedekiah's sons in front of him and then put out his eyes these barbaric pagans, this city? How do you seek the welfare of a people you hate? Because they have destroyed your people and your land. Whatever the political polarization of our own times, the outrage we might feel could hardly compare to what these Jews were feeling at the time. But when they remembered that it was God who had made them captives, not just Babylon, that it was God who put them in this place, that their suffering was necessary because of their sins against Him, that He was still looking out for them, well then, that changes everything. My survival, my well-being is in God's hands. What can man do to me? Remembering that frees me to be kind, even to my enemies. I don't have to scrap and fight for my survival and safety, for God is with me. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. Well, What would that actually look like? Well, I think Paul gives us a good idea as he writes to Titus in Titus 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Why would we do that? For we ourselves were once foolish disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, well, that changed everything. He goes on to talk about the change that God has worked. And he says in verse 8, the saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works, to make it their life's business. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And Paul goes on to say, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Good that's not only moral, but good that is beneficial to others. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Even though the Babylonians were their political enemies and had done them great harm. This is exactly what Christ teaches in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. This is what Paul says in First Timothy 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, Godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. These are the verses that resulted in our praying each Sunday morning for gospel-preaching churches in our area, for a person in government, and for a nation in the world, along with our gospel partners there. And because of passages like this one in Jeremiah 29, we have begun to pray periodically on Sunday evenings for the well-being of our city and our own community. For in its welfare, God says, you will find your welfare. Your own shalom is connected to the shalom of the place where you are. If the Jews were to pray for Babylon, the city that had conquered their country and taken them captive, how much easier should it be for us to pray for Greenville, for South Carolina, for the United States, where we enjoy so much freedom and benefit from so many blessings? So let me ask you this morning, are you regularly praying for the city where you live? Are you bending your efforts to promote its prosperity and peace? And in what practical ways are you doing so? What are the areas of urgent need? This is one of the reasons we've partnered with uh, Piedmont Women's Center and, and Lifelines and also Miracle Hill. It's trying to meet urgent need in our own community. You know, with the overturn of Roe v. Wade, all that's happened there is that that how we handle abortion, how we handle unplanned pregnancies, how we handle trying to rescue the most innocent of all, babies in the womb, and to help their mothers in a time of need, that goes back to the states. That goes back to the community. And... While it's a false charge that Christians have not been looking after the moms as well as the kids, the reality is that we're now at a place in our history where we can't fall back on helping our community. We can't fall back on doing good to others, young and old, children and their mothers. So where... Where are the statesmen like Daniel, spending their lives to do good to their employers, their city, their nation, unbelievers and believers? When I think about the faithfulness and respect and the compassion and care that Daniel showed toward Nebuchadnezzar himself, while at the same time maintaining devotion to God and giving frank honesty regarding areas Nebuchadnezzar needed to repent of, Think of all the good that Daniel did for this pagan king of Babylon. A lot of it's chronicled in Daniel 4 in the early chapters of Daniel. Think of all the good that Daniel did for this pagan king as well as for the city and for his own people that were there. Why should we not interact with our city, with our state leaders in the same way? With whom are we building relationships who have leadership responsibilities that touch the lives of many people in our city and in our community, in our world. Why would we wait till only election years when polarization and slander run high to show care for our community and its leaders? It's almost the worst time imaginable to build genuine relationships and exercise influence good and I want to encourage us to be praying for those who are in office we do that but to be seeking to build relationships that can do them good and do our community good as well I want us to think differently about politics and is the, the worldly way of thinking about it I confess for my own part it, it kind of turns my stomach so much that I don't want to touch it but the reality is That politics is about people, the people of the city where you are. And we need to build those relationships for the good of our people. Number four, count on the promises of God. Verse 8, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it's a lie that they're prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. They are the ones that said you're going to go back in two years. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. The reality is that if you're in Jesus Christ this day, God has determined shalom for you. Our hope is secure. There's no need to fear whatever happens in the short term. We are free to seek the shalom of others because God has already secured shalom for us through Jesus Christ. For the grace of God has appeared, Titus 2 tells us bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. God, God had promised the Jews judgment And many of them scoffed, they ignored the warnings, they refused to believe. But it came, exactly as God predicted it would. Well, when God promises blessing, it's the same way. God promised the Jews He would return them to Jerusalem in His purpose time. He will welcome us to our homeland at the proper time as well. He is with us all the days till then. Trusting God to bring you home in His time frees you to serve the good of the people where you are while you're away from home. Fretfulness and fear paralyze action for good where you are. But know this you ignore or I ignore His word to our own harm. You don't have to be a theocracy. Pagan nations are accountable to God. I am accountable to God. Nebuchadnezzar was accountable to God. You are accountable to God. You can count on the promises of God, whether they be judgment or blessing. You make your choice whether you will trust His way of salvation or not. And that leads us to the final point made in this letter, and that is to seek the Lord with all your heart. God predicts, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I have sent you into exile. This was God's ultimate goal. He was preserving this people, for from them would become a savior of the world. It is his goal for all of human history. It's the big story, the good news. God is calling out a people for his name. You want to bring some heaven to earth? Then walk with God and seek his face. Stop turning to your own way. Let Him shepherd you in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. His goodness and His steadfast love will pursue you all the days of your life. And then, and then, when it's all said and done, you get to take up residence in the house of the Lord forever. Earlier, Jeremiah had prophesied in Jeremiah 24, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Like these good figs, He had a vision of good figs and bad. So I regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I have sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, for they shall be my people and I will be their God. For they shall return to me with their whole heart. You see a reversal, complete reversal of the way the book began. These people were in contrast to the bad figs, those who resisted God's plan and were rebels to serving Him within the context of the difficulties He had assigned. So I ask you this morning, where is your heart? Does your heart belong to God? Even the hard things that He has brought into your life or designed to turn you back to Him. Trust in the Lord, the book of wisdom says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. Don't be a fool. Don't be wise in your own eyes. In all your ways, know Him, and He will direct your path. He will make a way where there is none. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. At the very center of human history is a cross, where God proved His love for us to be so great that He was willing to die in our place to purge us from our sin, to give us life instead of death. History is His story, and the hero of that story is Jesus the Messiah, our Savior. Will you not trust Him? What or who could be more reliable than your creator, your sustainer, and your Redeemer. In Him alone, you have a future and a hope. What was true in the days of Jeremiah, in the days of captivity, is true to this day. God controls your history, so grow where He has put you. Seek the good of the city where you are. As you do, be counting on the promises of God and seek the Lord with all your heart. God, help us to do it for our good, for the good of the city and the nation where God has put us to his glory. Be praise. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for the God that you are no matter who scoffs, no matter who rebels. God, you are working your will according to your plan to call out a people for your name, to provide rescue for them in the name of Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you for the Savior King. We thank you for His watch care over us. We thank you that He is our good shepherd. So, dear God, may He lead us in this foreign land, May we as exiles from home live for the peace of the people where we are. May we bring good to them and not evil. May we bring praise to you by the good conduct of our lives. And God, may your influence be felt in the connections that we make. And Lord, may we walk with you every day that you give us here. For it's in Christ's name we pray.